When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. On this episode, a huge and ancient artifact in near polar orbit of the Earth. Could it be of extraterrestrial origin? This object was already in a polar orbit for thousands of years. (laughs) So we knew right away that it wasn't one of ours. Hey there, I'm hard at work on another edition of Inner Sanctum, my free monthly newsletter. Inner Sanctum features my monthly brief, a column of my thoughts and opinions on what's happening in the world. It features a spotlight on a past guest, a look ahead to an upcoming episode of my weekly syndicated radio program, The Conspiracy Show. It features a look at this month in conspiracy and UFO history and my Conspiracy Unlimited podcast episode pick of the month and so much more. To get your free monthly newsletter, Inner Sanctum, delivered to your email inbox, just go to my website, strangeplanet.ca, strangeplanet.ca. Scroll down to the bottom of the page and click on Inner Sanctum and register. It's fast, easy, and again, absolutely free. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs. Here's Richard Serrett. Welcome to your Friday. Now, please note, this is a repeat episode from my back catalog. I'll return next week with brand new episodes. If you want to gain access to the back catalog, and that's over 500 episodes, consider becoming a premium subscriber. For less than $2 a month, you also get two bonus commercial-free episodes every month. Go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. The Black Knight Satellite. It's a legendary alien satellite that is said to have orbited Earth for nearly 13,000 years. And it's been twice caught on camera, passing the International Space Station and the moon. So there are those in the UFO ET field who claim the satellite is an object of extraterrestrial origin, possibly up to 13,000 years old, orbiting the Earth in a near polar orbit. Here to talk about the Black Knight satellite is Billy Carson. He's an avid blogger, social media manager. He currently owns and manages over a dozen social media accounts with followers totaling over one million. Billy is the founder of Forbidden Knowledge on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Tumblr. He discusses uh, topics ranging from ancient suppressed knowledge to current day events. Billy is also an expert host on the new original streaming series by Gaia TV named Deep Space. And this series is an exploration of the secret space program. Billy Carson, welcome to Conspiracy Unlimited. How are you? 
I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure. Thank you for spending some time. Listen, why don't we start off right away? Uh, I want people to that haven't seen uh, Forbidden Knowledge to check out your uh, your program on Gaia. Tell us about it and how we can watch it. Fantastic. You can go to Gaia.com. That's G-A-I-A.com. And you can actually just go to the search box and type in Billy Carson. Uh, and a lot of the shows that I've been on will pop up. I'm on Deep Space, Season 1 and 2. Also, Ancient Civilizations, which is a brand new streaming series. I'm on Season 1 and 2 there. And I've been on Beyond Belief and The Buzzsaw a couple of times as well. You're a busy guy. Yes, sir. <laughs> we should also uh, tell people that I mean, when you talk about the Secret Space Program and what we're going to talk about tonight, Black Knight, I mean, mm-hmm. you, you work in the aerospace industry, correct? Yes, I do. Actually, I actually own a space agency. It's a private space agency called First Class Space Agency, uh, registered in the state of Florida, and it's also registered with the European Space Agency and NASA. And uh, are you involved in launching CubeSats at all? No, we're not involved in that as of yet. Right now, we're mostly involved in research and development of zero-point energy devices and uh, alternative propulsion systems. Wow. <laughs> now, that's the cool stuff. Never mind the CubeSats, yeah. although right. there's... <laughs> All right. So, uh, speaking of satellites, let's let's get into this. This is... Uh, you know, this doesn't get enough attention as far as I'm concerned. I don't know how you feel, but this thing that's out there some have said it's uh you know 12,000 years old and and uh it's it's in this retrograde orbit we're Mm -hmm. talking about this they call it the black knight first of all when did you first become aware of it i first became aware of it back in 2012 uh just doing some research online looking for anomalies on uh, on mars through the um the nasa rover images Yes. And through one of my Google searches, you know, uh, this it said that there was a space anomaly above Earth. And I said, well, what is this? I've never heard of this before. And it was the Black Knight satellite. Uh, and at that time, there wasn't a lot of information on, online about it. So I just started digging into it and really trying to figure out what this thing could possibly be. And come to find out it was a real object cataloged and uh, on the NASA.gov website. Now, how many satellites, do you have a handle on how many satellites actually are up there now? At least a couple thousand. I don't have the exact number, but there's yeah. at least uh, a little bit over 2,000 satellites up there. 2,000. And how does yeah. this one stand out from the others? Well, in terms of the size, number one, it's about 15,000. I'm sorry, about 15 tons. It's about a 15-ton object. Um, and it's also in a polar orbit, which means it orbits the Earth uh, you know, east to west instead of around the equator. Ah. Is that what they, that's what they refer to as a retrograde orbit? Um, not really a retrograde it would be an uh, opposite direction, but the, the the polar orbit is where we go pole to pole. Right. And we don't, and, and, and most satellites uh, are orbit around what, the equator? Yeah, orbit around the equator. Or even, it, it could be, you know, different longitudes above and below, but as well, but they can go either, um, you know, what do you call it, clockwise or counterclockwise or retrograde. Right. But this particular object is going in a polar orbit. Now, why why is that? Why are why don't our satellites do a polar orbit? We do now. We actually do that now when we go to scan planets and moons and even scan the Earth. Um, we we do a polar orbit now so that we can get a, a, a like a, a line by line scan to create. A topography image. Uh, well, we couldn't do that until 
the, the late 90s. Uh, so this object had or it was already in a polar orbit for thousands of years. <laughs> so we knew right away that it wasn't one of ours. How, how have we been able to determine the age of this thing? Well, it was sending out some type of a radio signal uh, that was act- actually detected in 1927. Um, and astronomers uh, w- were able to capture this signal. And, and you know, they didn't know what to do with it. Even Nikola Tesla back in 1899 picked up this signal and documented this signal as well. But he didn't exactly know. He thought it was coming from Mars. But in 1957, uh, during the time of Sputnik 1, scientists were actually able to get the signal and also decode it. Now, this is something that they actually stated, that they were able to decode it. And what they're saying is that it was giving the location of the Epsilon Bootes star cluster. The only thing was it was giving its location from 13,000 years ago. That's where they got the age. Who decoded it? That's a good question. Some scientists, um, I guess, at in aerospace, most likely at some university or either at NASA or one of the other space agencies. Hmm. Uh, back then, it would have been NACA. But um, they say that they decoded it. And that information was in Time magazine uh, from uh, May of May 7th of 1960 is when the first time it was cataloged and actually put into Time magazine back then. Um, and then, you know, so they, they've known about this for a very long time. Now... Sputnik, as you pointed out, launched in 57. Correct. Uh, so, and there were news reports prior to Sputnik mm-hmm. that the U.S. Air Force had discovered two satellites orbiting the Earth. Correct, yeah. Yeah, they did. Uh, one was the St. Louis Dispatch, and that was in 1954. Uh, and then there was the San Francisco Examiner back in also 1954. They documented two objects, two artificial sat- satellites circling the earth uh and they so they this again is very well documented um even there was an article in harvard university uh you know i mean they've they've known about this for a very very long time my god this is well documented yeah (laughs) and uh okay so do we have any any images of it do we know uh, it's it's shape what it might be made out of what does it look like it looks like a bird of prey almost. It's a, it's a very you mean like the Romulan shape. the Romulan spacecrafts from Star Trek, right? Exactly, kind of oh. like that, but except without the wings extended out. You know, just kind of has that that weird uh, shape, uh, and it's uh, it's huge, man. It, it's it's really big. It, the, the the images themselves of this actual object are still on the NASA.gov website and labeled as uh, space junk. Is the label that they gave it. Um, so we have the images, HD, high-quality images taken by the STS missions, uh, which were the satellite, the, uh, the uh, space shuttle missions, and cataloged on the NASA.gov website, uh, which I can provide you the link so that you can provide it to your listeners uh, when this show airs. Uh, you know, it's still there. They're still up there. I mean, it's a good quality, uh, let's see, five-quality HD images that somebody can pull up of this object. Uh, and again, it's doing a polar orbit. Most of our uh, satellites go the other way. We right. achieved the ability to do a polar orbit. I, when when was that? Sometime in the nineteen sixties or something. But we 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 didn't really put any up that that way until the nineties. You said, right, uh, correct. And do we know what kind of of signals are these? Are these 
like radio transmissions? Uh, what kind of it's a signal? It's got to be a radio frequency because ham operators were picking up this signal as well. So it's got to be a radio frequency that, that, that this thing was um, you know, giving off. And maybe possibly still is giving off. It's just we don't use, you know, we're not tuning into those frequencies right now. Um, but um, so it had to be a radio signal or at least one of its modes of communication was radio because, like I said, ham operators were picking this up when they were monitoring the uh, the Sputnik mission. Uh, so this thing, and, and again, back you go back to Nikola Tesla, 1899, uh, he, he actually said it was a radio transmission uh, coming in where he detected it when he was in Colorado Springs. Uh, so this is <laughs> some interesting stuff here. Um, again, it's kind of been swept underneath the rug. Once, you know, once the official powers that be label something junk and for whatever reason, you know, like your DNA, oh, it's just extra junk in your DNA and people just, oh, it's junk. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the craziest little Jedi mind trick that they play on you. Now, uh, I'm trying to recall, uh, I think it was Jacques, Jacques Vallée. He was, mm-hmm. he was with the French Space uh, Commission uh, at some point. Didn't they observe this satellite? Yes, they did. They actually observed it. Um, uh, I forget what year that was. It might have been in the 19, uh, 1940s. I can't remember the exact date with that. But yes, they did. They were actually, uh, oh, it was 1950s, I'm sorry. 19, they were actually observing Sputnik, I believe, too, when they came across it, uh, going in a North Pole orbit. And that's when they documented this object. So, again, it's been documented many different times with many different people. Um, and... Uh, even uh, there was a sergeant in the military um, that uh, actually said that it actually orbits our Earth on a polar orbit and comes very close every two years or so. And then you can actually see it with almost a naked eye or just a standard uh, telescope. Have you witnessed it with the naked eye? Uh, no, I haven't. Clifford Stone said that, as a matter of fact. But I did not see it with the naked eye, but I saw it with a um, uh, Celestron 130 uh, telescope that I have. And uh, it was very easy to see. Now, you can't make out, make out the complete shape, but just as predicted by Sergeant Clifford Stone, uh, it, it arrived at around that time. And, you, I mean, you, it was very plain and very easy to see through a standard telescope. You know, so it, it's, it's there. Now, NASA called it a, um, a near-Earth near, near object, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, uh, it was the Black Knight satellite. And Sergeant Clifford Stone was the one that gave that information out uh, prior to 2012. And he gave the exact date that it was going to be kind of visible in the northern sky. Uh, and it, it sure was there. The, uh, the images that are on the, um, the NASA website, mm-hmm. uh, were those taken from the International Space Station? Uh, some were taken from the International Space Station and a couple were taken from, uh, taken from the STS mission. I think it was 1995. Uh, so it's a mixture of the two. Now, some people are trying to say that um, that the images are just a space blanket, which will be a cover of a part of one of the uh, shuttles that kind of came off. But we've already well documented that it's not just based off the size, the angle, and the shapes. Um, that's just a made up um, a made up story. Just again to kind of say, oh, it's, it's swamp gas. It's. I mean, I've never seen a, a blanket look like a, a metal metallic object. Right, and even if it, you know? if it, if that were true, that doesn't explain away the sightings and documentation of the satellite mm-hmm. from the 50s and 60s by right. by government and scientific agencies. 
Yeah, exactly. You can't just explain it away. They try to sweep it under the rug. I mean, like I said, it even made Time Magazine in 1960. Uh, it was you know on everybody's radar, and um, I guess the powers that be at some point decided, like, you know, let's just put this thing away because we don't want people to know about it because maybe it's a national security risk or we can't explain it, so how will they have faith in us if we can't explain what's in our own skies and so forth and so on? Um, you know, so they kind of swept it under the, underneath the rug. I understand also uh, Gordon, astronaut Gordon Cooper saw it. Yes, G- Gordon Cooper said he, uh, stated that he saw this object. Um, and this information was also reported to President Eisenhower. Uh, and he uh, he w- was the one that actually marked it top secret. So, again, Eisenhower, again, caught up in, a, in this UFO type of, um, you know, conspiracy where you know at one point it was said that he met with potentially met with the um vesuvians and also with the grays and then now we find out that the black knight satellite was marked top secret by him and we know that it's an object that's up there that's well documented so um it's it's just very interesting that he's you know consistently in these um in these conspiracies about ufos and aliens now cooper um he was in the mercury uh program so he would have been like on the Mercury 9 module or something. And um, now I heard a story that when he came back to Earth, he had initially reported it, uh, I think, to the Australian Space Command. He was up there. He was tracking it. But when he came down, he wasn't allowed to talk about it. Yeah, he was blocked. They, they gave him a gag order about it. It was the Mercury mission. It was one of the missions that were preparing us for the Apollo mm-hmm. missions. Uh, and he was the one that was uh, which they did track it, uh, and he actually made a couple of statements about it. But through freedom of information, we have not still been able to get the black box uh, on the Mercury mission. We got the black box on the Apollo 11, but not the Mercury. But um, he did state that he, he saw this object and was tracking it, but then they put a gag order on him, and he hadn't been able to speak of it ever since. Yeah, they, uh, they floated this story, too, I think I remember reading about – uh, the fact that he suffered hallucinations from an excess of carbon dioxide in his cabin. So anything <laughs> right. that he might have slipped out, that was sort of the explanation. Yeah, they wanted to make him seem like he was just out of his mind. He was crazy, and and that's why he, um, you know, that's why he was uh, making these weird statements. Did you ever have an opportunity to speak to to Gordon Cooper about that? No, I wish I, I hadn't had an opportunity yet at this time. I wish I did have an opportunity to talk to him, and also, you know, Neil and. And the others, but not not at this time. I just I'm waiting for the day to at least uh, get to one of them and try to see if I can speak to them. Maybe I'll see one of them at the space symposium in April. I think it's the 34th annual space symposium. I'll be going going to uh, in April, and uh, maybe I'll get a chance to talk to Neil. I'm not sorry, Neil, but um, Buzz when I get there. Um, but you know they've been they've been so suppressed as to what they can and can't say. Uh, it's almost impossible to predict if they're going to give you any information or not or give you a wink or whatever, you know? Right, right. Yeah, it, it was always so puzzling how uh, when Neil Armstrong returned, uh, I mean, here's a guy that had just seen, you know, the the Earth from yeah. the moon, the most un- unimaginably beautiful thing that you could possibly see, and yet uh, in front of the cameras, he looked like he had just lost his best friend as if... Someone yep. had whispered in his ear, you know, something terrible. Exactly. Uh, so is the is the Black Knight, uh, are these signals still being picked up by ham uh, operators around the world? At this time, nobody has documented that they're getting any uh, signals from this object, or if they are getting it, maybe they don't know what it is. 
Um, but there hasn't been any new developments on the signal. It could also be that we're jamming the signal ah. because, you know, we're very good at doing that. Um, I mean, that's that's a piece of cake. For example, when I was just speaking at the Conscious Life Expo in, uh, in L.A. A, a week ago, you couldn't even, you know, get a cell phone signal in there. They had jammers in, in the room so that nobody can broadcast the shows live. They wouldn't really get it on live stream, paid live stream, or either have to be there. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. So it's very easy to jam a, ra- a radio signal. That's a piece of cake. You know, you just find the frequency and just just, just uh, match that frequency, and you can actually just bump it out. Right. Right. Now, the the um, the recordings uh, that were deciphered, mm-hmm. uh, are they available anywhere? Can anyone hear what this Black Knight satellite sounds like or sounded like? I've been digging for those for so many years. It almost seems as if it's been buried away. Uh, the people that have, you know, that first cataloged them by now are most likely passed on. And whoever has a copy of them, um, it's just kind of gone. Only, the only record we know that they exist was because it was written about. Other than that, the actual recordings and the sound files themselves are, who knows, they're, they're probably in the Vatican archives or something. Yeah, no <laughs> doubt. <laughs> who knows where they are at this moment. But they were written about, which documented them. But, um, but yeah, I wish I could get my hands on those. And... You're able to track when it's going to come come by again and when it would be visible to the naked eye. Did you say about every two years or with a telescope? Yeah, about every two years. Uh, it comes pretty close to where you can see it in the northern sky. Okay, the northern um, sky. All right. Yeah. And is there, a, is there a time period we can mark on our calendars for all the amateur astronomers out there? I'll try to see if I can get that for you real quick because uh, it'd be really interesting to find out. Maybe 2012, 2012. It should be almost soon here. Um, let me see. Let me just go on my notes here. I'm trying to find this next approach. I, I, I looked at it about a year ago in terms of the, the approach dates. Uh, let's see here. Actually, be kind of cool to do something around that time. Some kind of live broadcast or something. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Let me just see here. Boy, it used to be so much information about it. It's kind of been almost wiped out of here. Hmm. Passes from one point of the satellite. Wow. Let me just check this one here. I'm trying to go to some, you know, some of my trusted pages to right, make right. sure I get the good information. But so many of them have been like either deleted or gone. Interesting. That is really strange. You know, even the video I saw of Clifford Stone talking about it, that was wiped off of a YouTube. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Just recently? When you told me about the show, I was like, let me go check out Clifford Stone's old video that I had up on a blog that I put up a long time ago, and it said this video was deleted. I was like, what? <laughs> oh, my. The plot thickens. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's so, so bizarre. Okay, let me see. Let me just look one more place real quick. Because it was also known as um, asteroid, I'm sorry, asteroid 2012 DA14 was the actual asteroid. Let me just check the orbital period for that real quick. That's what they were trying to say it might be. Oh, an asteroid? How could you confuse an asteroid? (laughs) Asteroid, thermal blanket. (laughs) I know. It's crazy. They just, they don't stop with the lies. More of my conversation with Billy Carson when Conspiracy Unlimited returns. 
C60 Evo delivers the miracle molecule ESS60. It's pure carbon 60. Why not love your body and share C60 Evo with those you love? ESS60 from C60 Evo is a mega antioxidant for increased strength, endurance, flexibility, and a deeper sleep. It's great for pets too. I take a tablespoon every day and so does the mighty Aphrodite. We're both sleeping better than we have in years. And during the day, we have such tremendous energy and vitality. We're both pain-free. In a landmark peer-reviewed animal study in Paris, France, rats fed ESS60 lived twice their normal lifespan. Go to c60evo.com slash Richard hyphen or click on the C60Evo link in the episode notes. Use the code E-V-R-S at checkout and save 10%. ESS60 from C60Evo. Order your miracle in a bottle today. As you're staring up at the night sky, ever wonder who's staring back? No, me either. But I guess you better say it because of Richard, you know, he's all wrapped up in this stuff. <laughs> Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Billy Carson is here from Forbidden Knowledge, and we're discussing the mysterious object in near-polar orbit of the Earth known as the Black Knight Satellite. And uh, Billy uh, is trying to determine when this satellite will swing by uh, again, when it can be visible with the naked eye or at least with a telescope in the, in the northern sky. Well, according to um, NASA.gov, which they're calling it this uh, this asteroid instead of what it really is, it uh, looks like a return to Earth in 2023. All so right. we have a little bit of time here before it comes back. And will we have some some warning as to what, like how long, how many how many days or weeks would it be visible? Do we know? Um, we don't know. It's most likely going to be just visible for uh, probably just a couple of days at its closest approach. Okay. All right. Uh, but we'll know we'll know of the approach because they always announce, you know, that it's um, something getting close. And, and I guess to kind of forewarn some of the astronomers or maybe as part of their code talk to let people know to be quiet about it or whatever. But they always make an announcement because they, they like to hide things in plain sight. Right. So we'll know that it's uh, it's getting ready to hit or come close, not hit, but come close. And then from there, we can pro- probably start tracking this thing ourselves. So, again, NASA is calling the Black Knight. They're, they're calling it an asteroid. And what is the name of it so we can track it online? Uh, asteroid 2012 DA14. DA14. All right. Right. Yeah. Um, now I mentioned off the top cube satellites, and now you know universities and amateurs are are launching these things. Uh, it's not you know it's not that ridiculously expensive mm-hmm. uh, to do it. But has anyone thought of launching a cube satellite up there? Could we launch one on a on a polar orbit and and maybe catch a glimpse of this if you had a camera mounted on a CubeSat? It's very possible. I mean, it, it doesn't cost a lot of money. You can launch a CubeSat for about $8,000. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, I've heard. Yeah, it's pretty easy to raise the money for that. Um, the only thing is getting the clearances to do so which, uh, you know, a little bit of a process to get done. I prob- probably not, I'm kind of, I've got my foot in the door. I can probably get it done fairly easy. Uh, now, uh, as far as transmitting the data back, if you can capture and transmit that data, that would be fan- phenomenal and fantastic. Uh, will they block it or will they, um, you know, will they censor it? Will they make it go to a command post first and then transmit from there after they filter it? I don't know. But it's definitely worth a try for that little bit of money, you know. Probably even just raise that on group funding or um, yes, 
yes. and, and get that together and do it. Well, there you go, Billy. Thanks. There's your assignment. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, man. It's a good project for me right there. I think I can do it. So, uh, just launching it though on a polar on a polar orbit. What mm-hmm. what else would you need to do to make sure that you're going to capture this thing on on camera? I mean, how do you? Uh, it has to be in the same, more or less the same, uh, at the same height, doesn't it? Uh, it doesn't have to be the same height because, you know, camera technology is phenomenal. I mean, just even with my, like I said, my Celestron 130, I can see Jupiter. You know, I can see, you know, Neptune. It's, it's very easy, even, even Pluto. So, I mean, you don't have to be the same height. Now, if you want to track it as it moves around the Earth in a polar orbit, then you would have to be on the same trajectory as it. But you wouldn't have to be as high, but you need to be in, you can be a low, low Earth orbit and still be on the same trajectory. If you just want to see it as it, as it goes during its, you know, its normal orbit, um, you can just be in a regular geosynchronous orbit where you think it's going to show up and be able to view that part of the, um, you know, that part of the Earth uh, above, above that part of the Earth and look for it as it swings by. Right, There's right. a couple of ways that you can do it, you know, it just takes a little bit of mathematics. Yeah, that's uh, that would be a great project. My gosh, mm-hmm. you, uh, the, yeah. you can put a, a cube sat up there. Call it the Black Knight Hunter or the Dark Knight oh, Hunter. I love it. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. You know, that's some good stuff, my dear. We got to do this, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, a great project. So, I mean, are we are we hundred percent sure that it is a satellite? Could it be an actual? manned craft well not manned but i'll tell you what i what i really think it is i, I really think that it's a, an ancient sumerian uh communications device that doubles as a satellite as well as maybe some type of a craft that allows some somebody to go inter interplanetary between two planets inside of a solar system hmm why sumerian <laughs> why sumerian billy in the sumerian tablets um there is a tablet that actually has um, a depiction of an Anunnaki being on Earth and an Anunnaki being on Mars. And in between them, there's this device that allows them to communicate. Uh, and I'm thinking that that device, in my personal opinion, is most likely the Black Knight satellite. Ah. Ha ha. Yep. So. That's, the, you know, that's where it goes to, for me. Because I, I study the Enuma Elish, the Seven Tablets of Creation, all the Sumerian tablets. You know, that's really my thing that I that I mm-hmm. speak about it in these lectures. Matter of fact, I just did a two and a half hour lecture about this in um in Los Angeles at the, at the Conscious Life Expo, and I'm also going to speak at the Contact in the Desert about the same subject. And I, I'm really starting to believe that um this tablet is this communication device that the Anunnaki were talking about using to talk between two planets. So, what kind of a receiver then would they have had on the ground here in ancient Sumeria? You know, they use a lot of crystal technology, and crystals are phenomenal for picking up um, sound frequencies. Uh, as a matter of fact, when you read some of these tablets, you discover that they're speaking to their human counterparts through these crystal granite um, um, stellas. So that technology is very easily, very easy to use, very easy to create. And for a human being who doesn't know any better, it seems like magic. Right, right. Literally uh, communication with the gods. Right, exactly. So you know, this tablet—it's uh, it's an actual tablet uh, that's in a museum. In um, I believe it's in the um, British Museum. Yes, it's a tablet fragment number three, and um, it's amazing because it, like I said, it's <laughs> one god on Mars, one on Earth, and they're communicating between each other with this device that looks like a satellite. Uh, these are the cuneiforms. Is that what they call the cuneiforms? These yeah, tablets. Cuneiform, 
cuneiform tablets and mm-hmm. they also have cylinder steel cylinder, cylinder seals or cylinder scrolls that they also made as well which are pretty intricate uh, uh, things because you have to put you have to make the print in reverse on the roller then roll it and then bake it so you have to know what you're going to say before you say it and you have to do it in backwards and then roll it it's, in, it's an amazing you know concept yeah uh, that they came up with you know 10,000 years ago. <laughs> and and are you, do you now, are you able to decipher ancient Sumerian? Do you, uh, yes. you do? Wow. Well, any, anybody can do it now because UCLA, thankfully, has started the UCLA CDLI online library. And this UCLA online library has the cuneiform tablets here. You can go to the virtual shelf and grab a virtual tablet and drop it into the translator and get the exact translation right there. Oh. <laughs> Ingenious. Yes, exactly. So it, this is a bit of a, a stretch perhaps, but do you think that the, the crystal receiver could be mm-hmm. somewhere buried in the sands in southern Iraq somewhere? Uh, I believe so. I believe it could have been inside the ziggurat of Ur. And the reason why I say that is because the first place that the United States military went to do this, you know, to find the weapon of mass destruction that didn't exist, was they went to the ziggurat of Ur, and I know this because one of my friends was on that mission. Uh, so that's the first place they went. They went into the ziggurat and took out a device and put it on the back of one of these giant pickup trucks, covered it over with a tarp, and it, it pulled off, and that was the last he saw of it. But uh, that's where they went first. The second place that they went, not the, not the, not the third or fourth, but the second place was to the museum, Saddam yes. Hussein's museum. Right. And they blew open the doors, went to the deepest areas, and took out hundreds of antiquities out of there and yeah. took them away as well. So... Those are the two places that they went. Why would why in the world would you you know would a military from the United States go there to get those two, whatever they were, ancient objects or ancient ancient pieces of information or documents, whatever they were that they took, devices or whatever, uh, instead of going and looking for these quote unquote weapons of mass destruction? I think that's those were pro- probably the primary reason they went there. I think every else everything else was just a caveat, you know, taking over the land and the resources and everything else. I think they really went there for the, for that ancient information. Wow. Uh, they may be in communication with this thing right now. Right, right. Do you think it's possible there are Anunnaki uh, aboard as we speak? I don't think there's anybody aboard. I think it's an autonomous craft that's operating uh, through intelligent control, but maybe from a, from a significant distance, and that it was just left here maybe to observe and transmit information back to wherever they are at this particular moment, you know, it could be just one of these watching devices, you know, like the old term, who watches the watchers, right? It could be, right. it could be one of these watching devices, just kind of watching and monitoring and capturing all of our communications, all of our, uh, you know, all every, all of our transmissions, everything we say and do all of our wars, all that information could be getting sent, uh, remotely sent to another location, uh, without us even knowing about it. And, you know, with their technology, who knows, they were already a million years ahead of us. So this thing can be very sophisticated, which is most likely why they won't even touch it. Uh, and it hasn't uh, it hasn't been transmitting, at least as far as we know, for some time, although you mentioned that maybe it could be jammed uh, right. or if it is transmitting, someone else has the receiver uh, and God knows what they're doing with that information. Right. Exactly. You know, it, you just you just never really know what they're up to. You know, the the interesting thing is in the um, Sumerian tablets and also in the um, in the uh, Emerald tablets, Thoth, he claims to have built the Great Pyramids. And in the Sumerian tablets, his father Enki tells him to go ahead and build a Sphinx. 
Well, when he says that he built the the uh, the um, the pyramids, that was in the Emerald Tablets, which are over thirty six thousand years old. Uh-huh. Now, the reason why I'm bringing this up is because when you look at the Sphinx now, they have really now kind of isolated it. It's not a couple thousand years old like everybody's been saying. It really dates back due to the weathering. Some are saying to the last ice age around twelve to 13,000 years. But around that time, there was so much chaos on Earth. You take it back another processional period, and you may have it there. But most likely, the alignment that you're looking for with this star cluster is another processional period back. So this thing can be can be... Uh, have been put into position right around the time that Thoth was writing the Emerald Tablets about 36,000 years ago. That would be the next alignment that would, you know, you could say. So instead of 13, you can go back two processional periods and discover that it was lined up again during the time that Thoth wrote the Emerald Tablets 36,000 years ago. Uh, so this thing can be really ancient, a lot more ancient than what we think. Just like the Sphinx itself is most likely around 36,000 years old, because that's around the time that Thoth talks about building the Great Pyramids. Right, right. So the Dark Knight may have been up there for, as you say, 36,000 years. Correct. Yeah, very possible. Uh, Isn't it interesting, though, as you say, that uh, websites are disappearing, YouTube Mm -hmm. videos (laughs) uh, disappearing? Yeah. have you talked about this on any of your shows on Gaia recently? Not yet. We actually haven't gotten a chance to talk about it yet. It was one of the ones that we were going to be bringing up uh, for uh, season three for Deep Space. Um, we haven't gotten a chance to talk about it yet just because there was so much information we wanted to build up to get bring people up to speed, so to speak, on what we're trying to say about the ancient space program and about what, what the modern you know, secret space program is. And then we were going to get into this most likely in season number three. Um, but it's a real it's a real conundrum because um, this object is most likely still up there. And it's um, it's probably, like I say, being jammed from sending out signals or so we can't pick it, pick up any signals. But uh, whatever it is, it's it's really highly sophisticated. It might even be broadcasting on multiple spectrums. We should probably scan for hydrogen or different spectrums of communication because it's probably sending out all different types of communication that we just, you know, haven't thought of. Right, right. What do they call that uh, one form of transmission? Long echo delay or something? Uh, uh, it's possible. You LEDs, can have long echo yeah. delay. You have the subspace frequencies. Um, there's a lot of ways that you can you know, transmit this information, even through, um, uh, what is it? Um, in quantum physics, they call it... Uh, Quantum entanglement. That's mm-hmm. another form of communication that we're just now starting to learn how to do where you can take two particles, phase shift into the same frequency, put one, I don't care how far where you put it, when you put data and information into one of them, the other one uh, changes instantaneously, the other particle changes instantaneously through quantum entanglement. And now we're discovering that we can use this as a form of not only uh, encryption, but as well as a form of communication through deep space. So who's to say this object here, as sophisticated as it might be, may not be con- communicating through quantum entanglement? Right, right. Uh, who who gave it its name, the Dark Knight? Do we know? Um, no, I don't know who gave it the name, the Dark Knight or the Black Knight satellite. That's a very good question. Um, it just uh, seems to be a name that just, um, I mean, I hate to say popped up, but it was just a name that I guess, a nickname that somebody probably gave it and it, it stuck. Right, right. Do you think it's? Do you think that NASA may may be tracking it with their own uh, uh, polar orbit satellite? Oh, they're definitely tracking it. There's no doubt about it. I mean, if you know, with the amount of satellites we have up there, they've got to keep an eye on everything. 
Um, you know, there's even a picture of it from the, taken from the moon. <laughs> so we have it. I have this picture as well inside of one of my blogs where we took a picture of the Earth from the moon and with the dark night satellite or the black night satellite, whatever you want to call it, in the distance above the Earth. So we have that as well, a picture of you from the moon. They've really been looking at this thing for a very, very, very long time and tracking every move it makes. So was that just, was that accidentally captured in that photo or were they deliberately trying to capture the, the, the Black Knight in I the photo? It, I believe it was, deli- yeah, I believe it was deliberate. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they calculate everything. I mean, everything is calculated, even the landing times, the location, the longitude, the latitude. I mean, everything is so calculated with them. Um, you know, even what star cluster is over, overhead when they land and all this other stuff. So I really believe that this was a calculated uh, time and appointed time to take this one photo. Uh, which is on NASA.gov site, and uh, and get a picture of the Earth with this object, you know, in the distance from the moon. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, listen, uh, Billy, uh, I'm glad I planted that seed about the, uh, you know, launching a, a cube satellite, the uh, the Dark Knight Hunter. If I can be of any assistance in helping yes. uh, raise <laughs> raise money to, to, to launch that cube satellite, uh, mm-hmm. you want to come back on my radio show or we can talk about it on Coast uh, and sure. maybe get a, a groundswell of support, I think it'd be a terrific project and you're just the guy to pull it off. Oh, I appreciate it, man. That would be a fantastic project. I'm actually going to put that on my list right now because I think that's something we should definitely try to do. Uh, and I don't think it would be a difficult you know, prospect to raise the funds. So we should definitely try it. Billy, thank you so much. Always a delight speaking with you. Thank you. Same here. Oh, uh, just a, a reminder again, let people know where they can find you on Gaia TV. You can find me on Gaia.com forward slash forbidden with the number four, four B-I-D-D-E-N. Gaia.com forward slash forbidden. If you go to that link, you'll be able to actually watch some free shows. So check out my channel on, on Gaia.com, and you can also visit me at ForbiddenKnowledge.com, and you can get there as well with the number four, ForbiddenKnowledge.com. All right, Billy, again, great pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. Okay, before I dim the lights in my little studio beneath the stairs, I'll be back in a few moments with a few words about an upcoming episode. Check out the huge selection of Strange Planet merchandise in my online shop. Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on Shop in the menu or find the link in the episode notes for this podcast. At my Strange Planet shop, you'll find unique men's, women's, unisex t-shirts and athletic shirts, leggings, tote bags, mugs, neck gaiters, and stickers and more. All emblazoned with amazing artwork designed exclusively for my Strange Planet shop by artist-illustrator Rick Forgus. If you're a fan of Strange Planet, why not show it off? Go to strangeplanet.ca and click on shop. Or go to the episode notes for this podcast and click on the link. It's a strange planet. Dress for it. Coming up next time, a physicist discusses a U.S. Navy file dubbed the UFO patents, which reveal how military scientists spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on experiments involving nuclear fusion and electromagnetic fields as part of research into devastating future weapons. They don't use standard physics in uh, the work they're doing on field propulsion and anti-gravity. They considered Einstein's theory warping of space-time as classical ideas that don't work. So you can't use standard physics to understand these, and it sounds 
unbelievable. This news story you read, uh, they sort of hype everything up. Actually, it's not that frightening. It's uh, beautiful technology. It's simple. Until then, I'm Richard Serrett. So long for now. A new Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at ConspiracyUnlimitedPodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.